Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty, and this is Talking Design 2018, episode number 20. In this episode, I'm talking to uh, architect Helen Lardner, who's a an architect also specialising in conservation architecture, and I think it's an area that is becoming more and more important uh, in our lives. So, welcome to the program. Thanks, Stephen. Helen. Conservation architecture, how do you, you started at Melbourne University, you, um, in architecture, studying architecture, and then you went to Sydney to work with uh, Lester Trotman and Associates, now Trotman and Trotman in Sydney, and then you went to Heritage Victoria. So obviously there was a calling for heritage, something fascinated you about heritage that other areas didn't. Yes, I suppose so, although when I was studying I didn't really recognise heritage as a particular calling. I was certainly influenced um, by some of my lecturers, um, George Tibbetts and Miles Lewis um, and uh, Bruce Trithowen, in fact, um, a number of tutors we had, um, and I had an interest in um, fine arts and in landscape. So I was lucky when I got a job um, with Lester Trotman and I kind of was introduced in a more practical way to Heritage's um, architecture all around us rather than a kind of academic specialist profession. And I think that's what I liked about it. Um, Helen, what was the first um, project or house or building that you, when you were working um, for... Um, uh, Trotman, uh, Les, Trotman and Associates, what was the first building that you were given that you just thought, well, it's not just a building and bricks and mortar, it's more than that? Yes, I worked, I was very lucky, I worked on a um, William Wardell um, warehouse <laughs> um, in the rocks, which was fantastic, and their office actually, Lester Trotman's office was in the rocks as well. Um, and I actually, while I was there, I met... Um, an archaeologist who's become a great friend, uh, Richard Mackay, and uh, talked to him about what was involved in a conservation management plan, which had always sounded to me like a very kind of academic study, but um, being surrounded by great places and interesting people, I just, I suddenly thought this is something I could really get my, um, all aspects of my work um, involved in because I love design, but I also like to appreciate what's already built and what's constructed. So, Helen, your own practice, which is HLCD, Helen Lardner uh, Conservation and Design, you're now working with some of Melbourne's uh, top architects. I mean, you mentioned the other day Kirsten Thompson you've worked with. Who are the others you're working with? Um, Look, I'm working quite a bit with Six Degrees at the moment and I've worked with MGS, uh, Shelley Penn, a number of really great architects and I think that's what I love, the sort of collaborative approach to architecture. So is it something they just feel they haven't got the expertise or is it just the study or those uh, reports that you have to put in the Um, councils that they don't want to do? I think it's interesting because I personally don't see such a line between being an architect and a heritage architect. Um, Why I like working with those people is I think that they have a really strong appreciation of place and almost any design we do, we're designing in an environment that's already there. 
And so I like to work closely with them to understand what's important about the place, what's significant. So it is a collaborative process um, and I find it hard to work with architects that don't appreciate the past, don't appreciate what's there and what they're working with. Um, but I think that's a rare thing. Most architects are actually building on the site and enjoying what they've got to work with. So, Helen, as an example, if an architect has an idea in their head, him or her, has a really strong idea, you bring up something that is quite significant about a building, then do they readjust their ideas or do they not start actually putting pen to paper until they actually get your feedback? Oh, it can work in different ways, Stephen. Um, sometimes um, I'm, I identify places and I'm working with clients and I suggest bringing in a design architect that I feel will work well with the, the site. Um, and in other cases, architects come to me and they say, you know, we've got these great ideas. How do we achieve a permit from Heritage Victoria? You know, um, what are the key things we have to look out for? Um, so it's a two-way process, um, depending on, on the site and the client. Helen, you're also asked to consult on a number of projects overseas. Yes. Whereabouts? Tell me. Because yeah, it's look, not just a Melbourne-based thing. No, it's very interesting. It's actually through ICOMOS, um, which is the International Council on Monuments and Sites. It comes out of the um, United Nations and the World Heritage List. So um, Australia's actually very active internationally in world heritage and I've been lucky to be involved for quite a few years. Um, so there's a couple of types of consultation that I do. Um, some of it revolves around places that are nominated to the world heritage list and one of the highlights for me uh, was when there was a um, a nomination of the work of Le Corbusier um, across the world and I was asked to go to Tokyo and um, do an assessment of the Museum of Western Art in Tokyo, which wow. was just a, such there. a great Fabulous. building. Um, and in that case, you know, there were numerous assessors for all the buildings and for the whole listing. And the advice from technical people like me goes through a whole process to the World Heritage um, Committee meeting. Um, so you're only a small part in the chain, but it's very exciting to be involved in that sort of work. And uh, in Japan also, I've worked on um, what became what what is now on the World Heritage List, a serial listing um, of industrial sites, because uh, I'm very interested in, in industrial sites that had to do with um, mining and shipbuilding and uh, steel. That was great. Um, the other side of the work is where there are places already on the World Heritage List and there's new development proposed. And in some cases, um, the World Heritage Committee want independent expert advice outside of the country where the property is. And in that capacity, I've worked for a few years now um, in Cornwall in the UK, um, which is a really fabulous um, landscape as well. And uh, my my passion really is adaptive reuse and new good design. And so that's the sort of things I've been looking at um, in Cornwall. Um, Helen, we have a wonderful uh, legacy of heritage buildings and it must be very frustrating, and maybe it isn't, but, you know, things just come in and come out of 
uh, fashion. I mean, in the 90s, you know, no one would have looked at post-war uh, modernist 1950s architecture. Yes. Uh, there were very few people out there. Now it's pretty hot now. I mean, it's almost mainstream. How do you kind of... What are the frustrations in putting buildings forward that aren't fashionable? So, for instance, 70s, 80s, 90s, or even something that was um, built in the early noughties. The people say, oh, Helen, but it was only, you know, 20 years old. Why are we looking at this? Yeah, I think that that is a big frustration, actually, Stephen, because um, heritage has nothing to do with age. It's really about what is the best of any era, what is the best design we have, what do we want to keep and sometimes it takes longer for people to appreciate things. And um, so that's an area I feel quite strongly about. I was on the um, Victorian Heritage Council for some um, years. And um, when I left that, um, John Hickman, who was a colleague of mine, said to me, you know, you're always telling us that heritage can be really modern, let's do something about it. And together we put forward Shell House, the Harry Seidler building. Um, Corner of Spring and Flinders, Flinders Street. Yes, um, for, the, um, for the Victorian Heritage Register, um, really because we just wanted to demonstrate that the best of modern design belonged on a heritage register. Um, what and year are we looking at for that? What year? Eight, um, 1985, yeah. So um, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's important to challenge people and I also find um, people have a tendency to think of, you know, what they might think is pretty stuff for, you know, Victorian era or whatever. And again, I like brutalist architecture. I like industrial places. And uh, when I was um, involved um, with the Victorian Heritage Council, one of my favourite projects, we did case studies of adaptive reuse of industrial places, showcasing places across Australia, just to inspire people to say you can keep these industrial places and you can do um, good design, new design, and get a great result. Well, it's interesting. I was fortunate I had an, an architecture tour on Sunday and we went through um, the Maples Warehouse in South Yarra by Len, Leonard Habel and Graham Gunn from the mid-70s. Yes. And I remember at the time, uh, I interviewed Len a few years ago, and he said, look, to get banks to even think about uh, converting a, a factory, what was a Maples factory for furniture into residences, was just, you know, absurd. I mean, yes. they just said, why would you do that? No one wanted it. Yes. And now they're, you know, it's just the whole reverse. How difficult is it to... Uh, demonstrate that something is worth saving and and you you know how far do you have to go now to uh, to get it registered well it does take a lot of effort to get things on the state register um, and I think um, it takes a lot of commitment but actually I find generally with sites sometimes um, you know you might start with a client who doesn't appreciate some of the aspects that I might find is you know, are interesting. But you can talk to people about other examples and show them material from other sites and they tend to get quite excited about mm. it. So um, I'm looking at a few sites in Fisherman's Bend at the moment and I just think that that's a great um, place in terms of opportunity. We don't want to lose everything we've got there. We want to keep our manufacturing. We want to um, 
look at the opportunities to celebrate what we've got rather than um, removing those things and making it a place that could be anywhere in the world. We want it to be special to Melbourne. Because those buildings actually give such a rich layer to the new development that people don't feel like they just moved into something, you know, that just was literally cookie-cutter made yesterday. Exactly, and I think... um, and I think the best heritage work is giving, you know, new layers onto already valued layers that we have. So it's appreciating what's happened before, but it's giving new life to places. And that's, that often means new uses. Um, Helen, it, it often comes down with heritage, particularly in the domestic setting. It often comes down to the owners, the new owners who buy a property. And they don't just keep the facade, but they keep the whole thing intact, the interiors. Uh, the Bomoris Group, uh, Fiona yes. Austin, who's one of the people who's leading the charge down there, um, uh, an interior designer, she's been very instrumental in trying to save a lot of the houses in, in the Bomoris area. Is it getting to that point that we need people active in all areas now to really save these homes? Well, I think it's fabulous to have champions like that because, um, you know, it's one of those frustrations if people buy a place and they don't appreciate what they're getting and you think, you know, just go and buy somewhere else and leave it for someone that will really value the the character of that home. And I've been very heartened um, by that and also the rise in interest in the places from the 1950s and the 60s. Um, and I think it will, well, I hope it will keep growing so that we can find the right owners for the buildings rather than um, have someone come and buy something quite special and just want to start again. Helen, this is a bit controversial in terms of the question, but um, how far do you think it should go? So if, if we're looking at a house that's quite significant, very pure, uh, could be, say, a Fuchs house or uh, something really special or a Guildford Bell house. How far do you think we should go in terms of preserving the interiors? And is that something that you think government should be looking at? Well, I think um, certainly government should look at it and there are the mechanisms there in the planning scheme to protect the interiors. Um, the uh, local councils are very reluctant to use interior controls on private houses. But there are houses that are exceptional and almost every site there is still room for new opportunities, room for new changes. Um, Even places on the state register that have important uh, interiors still have opportunities for change. So I think that um, it's not an either or. We don't either ignore the whole interior or, you know, make it a museum piece. But I think it is very important to protect what's important about these sites um, and still have opportunity for change. Um, Helen, the other thing that I find disturbing with buyers, and, you know, they're the ones that end up purchasing these houses, is that there's still that feeling, and tell me if I'm wrong, that people feel as if if they buy something that could be deemed heritage, they actually have no control over it. Their rights will be, you know, curtailed. They won't be able to change colours of walls. They, you know... I mean, it is a fallacy. I mean... It's you're, very not going disappointing. To get the, you're not going to yeah. get the style police coming every week to check up on how you've arranged your furniture. Yeah, I think it's very disappointing and I think it does reflect the misuse of heritage in many cases where people were trying to stop redevelopment and they kind of wave the heritage flag. Um, but I think uh, 
we need to educate people better about what it means to have a heritage listing and what are the opportunities. Because we do want these buildings to last forever. We want them to be loved and used. They need to change and adapt. Um, so I think it's in, uh, the key issue really is education there mm. to try and um, get people to appreciate the opportunities with heritage. Um, there are a number of houses in Melbourne, because I've seen them, I've with my tour groups and written about them, that I'm surprised aren't heritage listed. Uh, people like uh, Guilford Bell, who's yeah. he, one of the fine architects from the 50s, 60s, 70s. It's very hard finding Guilford Bell houses now. I thought they'd be uh, remain fairly pure since they were basically designed for very wealthy people, generally wealthy people at the time, beautifully crafted, not faddish, very simple and elegant. Why is it that Guilford Bell hasn't been given the support that he needs? Yeah, I think um, Guilford Bell and a lot of other really good designers from that period, I think there's just a lack of recognition and sometimes a reluctance, even when the work's been done, to substantiate how good the architecture is a reluctance from um, local government in particular to actually identify and protect more recent heritage, and it's a big loss. Um, local government can't do much. It has to come from herit a heritage state authority, I imagine, to actually really make those controls work. I mean, a council's not really going to do much. Well, in a way, Stephen, but there's only a small percentage of places that are on the State Heritage Register. In fact, a lot of our environment, the way it looks is governed by the planning scheme and what's included in heritage overlays. And so I think um, only a small percentage will be protected by Heritage Victoria, for example. Um, but there's, you know, a lack of recognition of what the values are in some of the suburban areas um, and local government's the right place to try and protect those places. Um, Helen, uh, I haven't given you time to think about this question, so if you say, look, pass, that's fine. <laughs> it's not it's not a quiz show. Yeah. Um, but who are the architects probably that are, you think people aren't really uh, aware of, even from the 70s or 80s, that you think they really should be looking out for? I'm just hoping that someone's listening to this program or <laughs> hunting for a house, come across someone. Mm. Is there anyone that you think is is kind of a bit of a um, someone who's in the shadows and really it'd be sad to see their house go? Yeah, I'm probably not the best place person to answer that. I think um, certainly... Um, the merchant builders' houses and also the... Graham Gunn. Um, yeah, yeah, Graham Gunn. I mean, I love Graham Gunn's work. Um, and also um, the work coming out of the small house um, design service, Neil Clarahan's work and uh, people like that. Um, project homes. The pro they were project homes and it was a delightful thing that project homes could be architect designed by fabulous architects and be available. And, you know, I would really like to see that aspect um, come back to current practice. Um, you know, I think it's... Yeah, sense of important. modesty. And there's yeah. actually a very good book by Dr. Uh, Judith O'Callaghan, who was previously uh, from the 
University of New South Wales, who wrote a book on Project Homes from yes. the 70s, Pettit and Severt. Yes. Uh, and she was... So, obviously, those books are very valuable as well. But how do people... Do people often see these Project Homes or um, these cluster subdivisions from the 70s and just think, it's just we can do what we like with them? They're not I, valuable. Yeah, I think um, they're seen for land value. And I've noticed um, I'm kind of house hunting a little bit myself at the moment. And um, I've looked at some 1970s uh, places and I mentioned them to my friends and my family. And uh, they struggle <laughs> to see the value in them. But yet when people go inside and they see the northern orientation, the flow of spaces. The raked ceilings. Yeah, the use of materials um, and the modesty. Um, I think a lot of people appreciate them much more. Um, it's a bit the same as my view about the brutalist architecture. A lot of people don't like, you know, brutalist architecture. They think the concrete is just too severe yet they experience and understand those places a bit more and they come to value um, aspects of that as well. What mm. do you find is the most challenging thing in your work? Is it getting things looked at to start with or is it just when people ask you for advice and they're really uh, kind of fighting against the style of the, of the architecture? Yeah, I think um, I think I find it challenging when I feel that there's great opportunities that are getting missed. <laughs> when I see things and I think, oh, you know, it would be great to see a new chapter in the life of this building or this area or something, and other people don't value um, what I'm seeing in the same way. Um, that's what I find frustrating sometimes, and I I feel that with industrial places particularly you know people say oh it's great that's an industrial place but we don't want all the corrugated iron and the banks of windows and we don't want a sawtooth roof and I think well that's it yeah you take it away and what have you got left <laughs> um what's uh what are a couple of the interesting projects you're working on at the moment um well one interesting one, which actually has nothing to do with industrial work, but is uh, very fascinating for me, is the Continental Hotel at Sorrento. It's under construction at the moment, and I'm working with Six Degrees Architects on that. And that's been a really interesting one. Um, it was an 1875 limestone building. It's huge. I don't know if you know it, Stephen, but it's um, you know really a landmark as you come into Sorrento. And it was terribly run down, in very, very poor condition. In fact, it was used for backpacker accommodation for a while, but it was too bad for the backpackers, so they, <laughs> they closed it down. Um, so it's very exciting there. Um, our clients have experience um, with hospitality and we're um, basically keeping it as a hospitality use with some accommodation and... Um, I think what's been challenging there, um, a lot of people wanted to see that building restored and it is a building where, you know, there's quite a lot of involved conservation with the limestone, um, with the changes the building's had over time. But at the same time, um, to actually make it commercially viable mm -hmm. was quite a challenge. And so it was very exciting to work um, with Six Degrees, the design team, 
to um, do things like put in a new block of kitchens and um, new lifts and new services um, and um, develop behind the Continental Hotel because all of these new things were a way of actually getting life back into the and old building it. and saving it and having money to spend on it. And so it's uh, tremendously exciting. You mentioned uh, just one of the words, la- you know, uh, well, maybe I heard not correctly, uh, but, you know, when you're looking at a building that's, say it's been, uh, had a number of things um, done to it over the years, it could be, say, a 1920s building that has had a series of interventions and renovations till the present, yes. whether it's 50s, 60s, 70s, do you tend to treat those layers as part of the heritage or do you try and go back to the original oh, idea? Yes, um, generally I like to keep all the layers of history. So mm-hmm. the Continental Hotel, for example, it you know, as I said, was from 1875, but it had significant changes, um, particularly Art Deco period changes, um, which really add to the character of the place Mm. and are valued by people today. Mm. So we weren't trying to remove those. We were trying to work with that history as well and talk about the whole history of the site rather than take it back to its earliest point. Um, Helen, look, it's been a pleasure having you on my program. I think it's a fascinating area. I hope that Melbourne looks at at its heritage very seriously in the 20th century and even beyond, because I think we do have some wonderful buildings that are a little bit in danger, and uh, and really our grandchildren, great-grandchildren will go back and say, well, that was fantastic, what happened to it? Yeah, I hope so too, Stephen. We'll keep our fingers crossed. (laughs) Yes. Thank you so much for coming onto the program. This has been Talking Design 2018, recorded at RMIT University in Melbourne.